Hi, everyone. Welcome to Crime Cults and Coffee. I'm Bryn, and I'm finally not sick. If you've been listening the past couple weeks, I've been really, really, really riding the struggle bus. I had a very bad cold, and I'm finally over the hump. On top of having a bad cold, it was so crazy because last weekend, as I was just getting over my cold, I had a wedding and two baby showers. My mom and I threw a really cute baby shower for Kelsey, for friends and family that couldn't go all the way to the Pittsburgh one. It was absolutely beautiful. And then I had a sprinkle for my best friend Ashley, which I also helped with decorations for. And on top of that, as mentioned, the wedding. So like I said, crazy weekend on top of allergies, on top of being sick, and Apologies again for having to put out a repeat of an episode last week, but there was no way by the time I needed to record that I could record with how sick I was. So I am doing my best this week. My voice is still a little raspy, but as mentioned, I am feeling better. Before getting into any recommendations, I also wanted to mention something that I think I mentioned in another episode, but I can't really remember at this point, and it's been coming up time and time again over the last couple weeks, so I wanted to address it. I have been asked multiple times now if I am planning on continuing the podcast, especially while pregnant and I'm halfway through, so things are good right now, but might be ramping up towards October, and I've been asked as well if I'm going to continue it after the baby's here. So I want to address that again on here. I have all intentions of continuing the podcast as long as the listeners are there. So that's really up to you all with whether I decide to keep this going or not, because obviously if the listeners aren't there, then taking the time to research, record, and edit every week for me might not be worth it, especially with a new little one around, but I am going to try my best because I love doing this podcast. I think it's important to tell these stories and to do what I can to get that information out there and help the families that we can with the readings and the information that's put out there regarding the cases. So as long as the listenership is there, keep sharing the podcast, keep telling family and friends, keep listening, and I will be here to give you a new episode, hopefully every week as long as I don't get sick again, or as long as the beginning stages of motherhood aren't too hectic or overwhelming for me. So into recommendations, I have no new show recommendations on my same old bullshit, But podcast-wise, I do have a recommendation for you all. If you have not already listened to the podcast called Betrayal, there are two seasons. Season two just came out, and I started listening to it today. Actually, I'm all caught up. Season two of Betrayal is so good. All the stories within Betrayal are how they sound. It's about someone being betrayed by someone, And in season two, it has to do with this woman's husband and a secret she finds out about him. It is literally mind-blowing. So I highly recommend this podcast. There's not too many episodes out right now. I believe season two only has four or five episodes out, but give it a listen. Now on to the coffee review. No, this isn't a drill. I did say coffee review. It is not a coffee recipe. It is actual coffee. I'm able to consume it today. So 
I am reviewing a coffee from Milford's Daily Grind. I decided to make a little trip over to their coffee shop today since I actually felt like drinking coffee for today's recording. And I decided to get a coffee from their June special menu. It is a blueberry shortbread latte, iced of course. And you have all heard coffee reviews from them in the past. I think I've gotten stuff from them at least two or three times now. And if you want to check out their Instagram page, it's Milford's Daily Grind, and they are located in Milford, PA. I am a fan of this iced coffee because it's not too artificially blueberry sweet, although you can taste the hint of blueberry in it. I don't quite taste the shortbread, but something that I did notice, which I've mentioned in other episodes with past coffees, is I let this sit for a bit. I didn't dive straight into the coffee. Actually, I'm just kidding. I did dive straight into the coffee, but then after a little bit, I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to let this coffee sit for a little bit and see if I like it better once it sits. So that was a really good idea (laughs) that I did that because after leaving it to sit for about a half an hour, I love it so much more The flavor really seeped in there, and I had actually learned this from Paul, who is the owner of Cars Coffee, who we have our Crime Colts and Coffee Morning Brew blend through. He had told me when I went there for a coffee tasting with Kelsey to not drink the coffee straight away when it's hot, to let it sit and cool for a little bit. So even though iced coffee is already cold, I've been doing the same thing lately with my iced coffee to really let the flavor sit, sink in, sit in. And I felt like not only do I have a more flavorful taste, but I have a more full taste when I do that. So into the review of this coffee, as mentioned, the blueberry, it's not too sweet, which I really like about it. Again, in review, I can't taste the shortbread, but it is very full-bodied and their coffee, as I mentioned before, in general, even without the flavoring in it of something else is really good coffee. So with that, I think I would rate this a seven because it is really good, but it's not my favorite that I've had from them. So I don't want to go too high with it. Although if you go and make a trip to Milford's Daily Grind, you might try this one and it might be a fave of yours. Just keep in mind that it is a special for the month of June. Also, quick little happy birthday insert here. Happy birthday to my brother, Carson, and to my sister-in-law, Laura, this weekend. Now into today's episode. So grab your coffee and have a morning with us. Today, I will be discussing the case of Jason Landry. Jason Landry was 21 years old at the time of this story, and his mom's name was Lisa and his dad's name was Kent. Jason was their youngest child, and he was a student at Texas State University. This was located in San Marcos, Texas, and he lived in an apartment there. He was in his first semester and was studying sound recording technology and engineering. He wanted to become a music producer. Jason was described as extremely extroverted, optimistic, and loving. His extroverted personality was actually extremely affected once away at college because Jason had been looking forward to the socializing and college life atmosphere, which turned out to be the complete opposite since he started his time at Texas State University during the pandemic. 
Due to this, a lot of time was spent in dorms or apartments and isolation and with small-knit groups of people. One person that he had spent a good amount of time with was his friend and neighbor, Jack. Something Jack had mentioned that he noticed in regards to Jason was that he would smoke marijuana, but that he didn't eat or sleep a lot, which I found kind of interesting because sometimes, at least for some people, smoking a little bit of weed comes hand in hand with getting the munchies or becoming really tired. So it was interesting that he smoked a lot, but that really didn't affect his sleep or eating patterns. And actually so much in the opposite way that his friend took notice. On December 13th, 2020, Around 10.55 p.m., he left his apartment to head to his parents for the holidays. They lived in Missouri City, Texas, which is within Houston, Texas, and this drive should have taken him around 2 hours and 40 minutes, give or take. Just something to note, before leaving, Jason had received a text from his friend Jack. Jack had asked him if he was going to get sleep before driving. Jason basically said that he was fine and thanked him for checking in. At 11.07 p.m., he was driving south on Highway 80, entering Caldwell County. 11.15 p.m., Jason passed over SH-130 on Highway 80. Then we're on to the morning of December 14th, 2020. Early that morning, and some articles state 12.31 a.m., A volunteer firefighter came across a 2003 tan Nissan Altima that had appeared to have been in an accident. This was on Salt Flat Road in Luling, Texas. This also would have been about 30 to 35 minutes from where Jason left in San Marcos, Texas. The firefighter called Caldwell County Dispatch to report the accident. Here's a description of how the car was found. Its headlights were on, the keys were in the ignition, the driver's side had damage and was up against a fence line, it had crashed into the barbed wire fence as well as into some trees, and a few articles state one tree. The front passenger side door was locked, the back window was kicked out, and some articles say out and some say kicked in which I think actually makes a difference as to figuring out what had actually happened because if you're kicking a window out, I feel as though you're trying to escape a car or at least that's me speculating. But if you're kicking a window in, it almost could have been staged. There was no one to be found in or around the immediate vicinity of the car. So moving on to the investigation... Texas Highway Patrol and another article stated Texas Department of Public Safety was dispatched to the scene. A patrolman drove up and down the road looking for who could have been in the car. Reports said that this search process was done for about an hour. About 100 feet away from the car, there were clothes scattered all around, including a shirt, shorts, socks, a pair of slide sandals, and underwear. They were described to be thrown about as if someone had undressed themselves and left the clothes wherever they fell along the way. There was a small amount of blood found on some of the clothing. Around 900 yards or 2,700 feet from the car, a bunch of personal items were also found. A backpack was there and in the backpack was a laptop, 
gaming equipment, Jason Landry's wallet, his driver's license, and some marijuana. One article stated that there was also a tumbler found with a dead pet betta fish in it. A toiletry bag and a hat were also found. Around 2 a.m., Kent and Lisa Landry, who again were Jason's parents, were called by Caldwell County Sheriff's Office. The car was registered under their name, and Jason's license was also discovered by this point, so law enforcement could assume who had been driving the car. They were told about the car accident and asked about their son, whom they found out had not been located. Kent Landry left his home and headed to the crash site immediately after hanging up the phone. On his drive there, Lisa called him to tell him that the car had been towed, but she wasn't sure where. Kent then had Lisa call the police to find out that information, and allegedly, when Lisa made that call, she had woken up the patrolman that had been at the scene of the accident, as he had already went home and went to sleep. Upon arriving at the crash site, Kent recorded videos on his phone of what he saw and found. Jason's clothing was still all over the area. It had not been collected by police, which is super strange. My opinion, but I think many can probably agree with me. Kent also had Jason on Find My Friends, and he used this to track his son in hopes that Jason had his phone on him since it had not been found at the scene. The app led him to where the car had been towed, and Kent found the phone between the seat and the armrest. However, he still faced a dilemma because he didn't know Jason's password to unlock the phone and access any information that might have been on it. At some point this same day, Texas Search and Rescue attempted to locate Jason. They conducted aerial and ground searches. They also used horses and search dogs and there was no sign of Jason. Surveillance from local businesses and homes were also looked into, but nothing was found. December 16th, 2020, which was two days later, a retention pond that was located near the accident site was searched. A dive team was present, and the pond was also completely drained by search and rescue. This turned up nothing. Other searches were also done using drones, infrared technology, and Texas Railroad Commission investigators had also searched oil tanks in the area. December 18, 2020, Texas Department of Public Safety officially handed over the case to Caldwell County Sheriff's Office. It's important to note that although it's not mentioned when, At some point, access must have been gained into Jason's phone and or data. His digital footprint was used to piece together some details of what happened before Jason vanished. So rewinding back into that, December 13th, 2020, which is when Jason had left his apartment, he had been using Waze on his phone. 11.24 p.m., he was in Luling and he minimized ways and opened his Snapchat. This was near the intersection of Austin Street and Magnolia Avenue. He was supposed to make a right turn on Magnolia to get onto I-10, but missed the turn. 
This is when he went onto Salt Flat Road. He drove four miles on Austin Street before it turned into Salt Flat Road. So he had driven four miles further after making this wrong turn, which also seems kind of strange because either A, he didn't notice he made a wrong turn, or B, he was continuing on for some other reason. Which he could have been distracted if he had opened Snapchat and not even realized, but I also wonder if the ways would have rerouted him that way, or if he, for some reason, wasn't paying attention to the GPS before he got into the accident. So there are some theories surrounding Jason's disappearance, which I will get into all of the theories that I found online. One theory is that Jason got into a car crash, was injured, and wandered off. This car crash could have been due to swerving to miss an animal, not knowing the roads, being under the influence, or being distracted on the phone. Again, these are all theories. If he wandered off, he could have suffered from an injury where he's out in the world living a new life, unsure of who he is, or he could have succumbed to his injuries and hasn't been found. Another theory is that if he wandered off and passed away from his injuries, that he hasn't been found because he was eaten by wild hogs. I find this theory especially disturbing, but there are 200 to 300 pound feral hogs that are known to be in the crash site area, so I think that's where that potentially came from. Another theory was that someone else was involved in Jason's disappearance. Someone else other than Jason could have driven and left the car there. Or someone could have staged the accident and the scattering of his clothes. So that came along with that theory. Another one is that Jason left by choice. Caldwell County Sheriff's Office eventually released some information that led some people to lean into this theory. They had found some questions in Jason's Google history that included, quote, how long can you live in the woods without food? And, quote, how long can you go in the wilderness? It was not stated when this was searched or if it was in reference to something, for example, a school project of any sort or just interested in that information, but it was, I found it really interesting since He was such an extrovert and described as such an extrovert that this is a theory that he'd want to go off on his own and live secluded in the woods by himself. I just thought that didn't really line up with the depiction of who Jason was, but then again, people change, people find different interests and find different paths in life, so maybe that was something he was willing to explore. Although, Again, with him being so extroverted and college already being such a hard time with him not being as social as he wanted to be, in my opinion, I just don't feel like that theory is very reliable. A final theory that I had read was that drug dealers could have been involved in his disappearance. A private investigator and retired FBI agent named Abel Pena had become involved in Jason's case after his daughter had asked him to look into it. She had dated one of Jason's friends. Border Patrol and a team of retired FBI agents also looked into Jason's disappearance, along with Pena. 
They did this for free for the Landrys. Pena and his team of private investigators came across some tips and leads in reference to the drug dealer theory. This included that there was known drug activity that occurred near the intersection where Jason had missed his turn. A tip line was even set up for those afraid to talk about specific dealers in the area. Pena and his team feel that Jason could have been a victim of a crime. Moving on to some aftermath, February 26, 2021, Texas Search and Rescue conducted a three-day search for Jason. More than 100 volunteers searched more than 31,000 acres on foot. All different types of searches, including dogs, horses, drones, etc., were again used to look for Jason. This is a quote from KHOU11, quote, October 2021, volunteers with Texas Search and Rescue even used artificial intelligence to create computer mapping programs to show them, based on thousands of photographs of the area, where Jason could be. But again, nothing was found. December 2021, a cold case unit was opened by the Texas Attorney General's office. The cold case unit agreed to take another look at Jason's case. July 22, 2022, a man was found unconscious in the Bronx, New York, who strongly resembled Jason, but it was found to not be Jason. Jason's family, as well as Pena, believe that Jason's case has been under-investigated. Aside from the disappointment in initial evidence, like Jason's clothing, not being properly collected, the car and accident scene had also not been forensically tested. Here is a quote in reference to Jason's father from KHOU 11. Quote, Kent believes the Caldwell County Sheriff's Office is partly to blame because of the way they handled the case. Kent thinks they made up their minds from the beginning that Jason left on his own and wasn't a crime victim, so they didn't put in a lot of time or effort to find out what happened. And this is a continuation from KHOU 11 with a direct quote from Kent. Quote, And that's the part that's frustrating. From the very beginning, that law enforcement has treated this case with indifference, arrogance, frankly, maliciousness. They saw his clothes laying there in the middle of the road and didn't even bother to pick it up. If you literally think there is some college student naked in 30-degree weather with 20-degree knot winds, shouldn't you at least search for him? But you just rode along, shining your light on the road, and that lackadaisical, indifferent attitude, dot, dot, dot. Which I completely agree with his father, even if you didn't think there was criminal intent behind it or that something malicious hadn't happened to him. Why wouldn't you be concerned about someone who is not dressed, who had just been in a car accident, wandering in the wilderness on their own in winter weather? with no clothes on. It just wouldn't you collect evidence until you knew more information or contain the scene until you knew more information and could rule out that it wasn't a crime or could find where this man was. 
Per an article from February 2022, the Caldwell County Sheriff's Office captain stated that there was no evidence of a crime. Therefore, quote, the Sheriff's Office does not plan to process the other DNA evidence obtained from Landry's car. And that was a quote from clicktohouston.com. I wish they elaborated a little more on what this other DNA evidence is. I guess it literally could be someone else that had ridden in his car or just maybe blood specks in his car from the accident. They want to determine that it wasn't him or was him. And regardless, we're not going to know because they're not going to test it. Jason's story was featured on an episode of Disappeared. And this was season 10, episode 4, called The Long Drive Home. Jason Landry's case is still an ongoing and active investigation. So many Facebook pages have also been created for Jason since his disappearance. And one of them that you can check out is Find Jason Landry. If you have any information on Jason Landry or this case, you can contact the Caldwell County Sheriff's Office at 512-398-6777. You can also contact the AG Cold Case Unit at 512-936-0742 or give info via email at coldcaseunit at oag.texas.gov. And all of that information, as always, will be provided in the show notes of this episode. So where you can see the description for this episode, it'll be located right there. You just scroll down. It will also be posted on the Facebook page as well. That is your call to action for this week. If you have any information on Jason Landry or this case, please, please, please contact one of those numbers or send an email. It could be something as small as, oh my gosh, I remember seeing that car that day. Nothing is too small to report if it's in relation to Jason Landry or around the time he disappeared because his family wants nothing more than for him to be found, whether that be him here present still with them or them being able to put him to rest. So with that being said, That's the end of today's case and the story of Jason Landry. I was really hoping to have more background information on him in general, but from what I could find, it was mostly revolving around his case and the happenings of that day that he disappeared and the investigation that followed. So I provided what I could, but I'm hoping this is one that I could get in touch with family or friends of his and have them connect with him through Laura in the future. Anyway, I don't think I have anything to add outside of that. As always, it's just devastating that he's still missing and that there's so many questions that need to be answered. So from here, I will jump into the spiel for this week. You can find Crime Colts and Coffee on Instagram. That's where I post pictures of the coffee reviewed. If you look in our highlights, you can see past coffees, past episodes, any important information regarding the podcast, and merch info, as well as fun listener reposts. And I posted some listener art on the page recently, so keep sending some listener art my way. I love it. 
The link tree in our bio has most of the listening platforms that the podcast is on. If you go to Facebook at Crime Colts and Coffee, that's where I put any resources, photos, links, calls to action in regards to the episode. And as mentioned, the calls to action are always in the show notes as well as any important information in regards to the case. If you have a listener story or a case suggestion, you can email me at crimecultsandcoffee at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at crimecultsandcoffee. Listener stories are always greatly appreciated. I actually just talked to Nicole the other day who's been writing in the great listener stories about having an episode where she can talk about all her experiences because she's been sending so many good ones in and has so many crazy, spooky, eerie, strange stories in regards to where she was living. But I need more aside from Nicole. So send them on in, send them my way, and I'll gladly take case suggestions as well. If you would be so kind, if you like the podcast, like listening, enjoy it. Please leave a rate and review if you're able. That's usually found on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify. If you're not able to on any listening platform of your choice, you can like, you can follow, you can subscribe, and that will let you know when new episodes come out each week. And I really appreciate you all listening and tuning in every week. I really appreciate if any of you are following through with calls to action And this includes any GoFundMes that are put up or donations that can be made to families or just spreading the word, spreading information. That's like a weekly call to action. I greatly appreciate it. And until next week, bye. regarding this case and our resources follow us at crime cults and coffee on instagram and facebook